Hello, you're listening to the Eric McKenna Project. Scott, man, thank you for being here. Glad to be here. Man, this is a cool looking place. <laughs> thank you. Are we going to do a split camera? I want to be like in a Steve McQueen movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's a first <laughs> so we're uh it's it's now february uh 2021 we're in the pandemic still um live music has certainly been turned up on it upside down on its head the last year and you know live music is a big part not everything but a big part of, of the work that you do so how are you personally maneuvering all this i'm as sad as everyone else but uh i've had a lot to write about because there's been so many bands that are finding new ways to, to get it out there. I, I think how a lot of bands started streaming last March, last April, and it, it was really amateurs. It, it was a guy sitting in his basement <laughs> wearing a flannel shirt, you know, then now we're seeing things like the SOS Save Our Stages and, and, yeah. and some of the other bands. Uh, yeah. uh, this weekend, uh, we have Todd Rundgren doing a show, uh, his tour, he'll be pretending like he's in Pittsburgh. The, visual, the visuals behind him will be showing Pittsburgh scenery. So yeah. bands are finding a way to get more creative with, with what we're dealt with right now. So I've had a lot to write about. Uh, but yeah, like everyone else, I'm missing the, the, the sound of that kick drum yeah. going through your chest. You know, I, I need to be yeah. back out there soon. I, we're yeah. heading that way it's i think we're at the right pace but uh i, I can't wait on the uh, the virtual stuff that you've seen are there had there been any standouts that you know you may be able to catch um you know glimpses of these video shows that some really have been like a cut above in terms of the way it was thought out produced and so forth because i have seen a lot of rubbish too i i cheer on the effort but I, it seemed like a lot of your bigger acts gave it a shot in the beginning and either didn't like it or whatever their negativity toward was it and they just quit yeah but the ones that plowed through, it seemed like it got better. I'm real curious that we got Dropkick Murphys just announced they're doing their St. Patrick's Day again. And I watched some of last year's, and it was cool. It was fun, but I wasn't getting the experience of a DNA. You I, have like, to be they, there. They, 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 virtually, someone needs to be like throwing a bottle with your head or something. <laughs> you have to be there. <laughs> <laughs> but they've had a whole year to figure it out now. So the, to me, this is going to be a good gauge on, on how they've advanced and how the industry is yeah. advanced. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, some of the local ones, uh, a guy like Joel Lindsay, I'm a big fan of. And he, right. he just literally puts like a, 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 cur a curtain up and he does fun things, but he'll bring his son in. And, and you know, the, I don't mind some of the the, the low budget ones. Yeah, uh, they're they're kind of cool. But uh, a, a band of a national stature should be doing something a little fancier. Did you see uh, Kiss did that uh, January first thing? Did you catch any of that from Dubai? I did not. How was that? Um, it was okay. It was once you see a modern Kiss show, you've seen it a billion times. <laughs> but what they did was really weird and also cool. They just blew everything up. They just <laughs> blew everything imaginable. They just pumped fireworks into the sky and that was all cool but it was different seeing them play with like a casino fountain in the background and then like really just tables like cocktail tables will spread out mm -hmm. and then all the fans i guess were in the hotels on their balcony oh the, huh. the, yeah and then i don't know what the revenue was i don't know what the the, the reach was but at least if it was live full production full scale Music. They vowed to set a, a Guinness record for the most pyrotechs, pyrotechnical stuff. I would imagine they probably did it. It just <laughs> went on and on and on. Which you know, but again, your, your moves, Ambelli. What do you got? <laughs> and you have to to beat that. But then again, you had you had oil money over there too. You had some. <laughs> yeah. You had some some oil baron probably funding the whole thing. But at least it was some normalcy. Right. You know, for not, whether you did kiss or not, if you like rock and roll. You know, at least there's a major act doing something on a big scale, yeah. although it didn't feel, <laughs> you know, and that's the thing about music. It's so, and I know that this word is overused, organic, but it is an organic experience when you attend an event and there's just that intangible thing that doesn't translate to television. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I definitely do. Uh, I know it's so hard. It's like seven degrees outside now, but March is coming up and I'm already getting... Uh, announcements from, from Beaver County venues, at least they're going to be doing some outdoor shows. They have the tents now, so right. uh, a place like the Grand Valley Inn, they, starting March 27th, they have a whole schedule of, of uh, quote unquote outdoor shows. There's a tent. The, the audience is undercover. They're hoping late March is going to be warm enough. Uh, Thursday's yeah. restaurant Bridgewater, they have a sort of an outdoor thing again. So it, it's again, it's a kind of a hybrid. You know, it, it's the live concert experience. You're, you're kind of under a roof. You're kind of in a bar and. Uh, hopeful for that because that, that was another way to absolutely get some fix. You know, you get some of your music. Yeah, and, out, and outdoor is obviously safer than, than than plying people into an indoor venue as well. Too, I had an interesting thought in the way here this morning. I wanted to run it by you. Isn't it interesting the theory 
that if this continues, and let's hope not, but let's just say this this kind of lifestyle for all of us continues for another year, two, or three, mm-hmm. distancing, masking, and so forth, just until we really eradicate it. Um, I, I don't like to use the word damage, but just hear me out for a second. The immediate damage to your national acts is going to be pretty broad, but there, this might be the groundswell of your local music, your local acts, your aspiring artists that actually can can raise their statue while the biggies are taking a hit. Does that make any sense? Yeah, because you're going to see the club shows come back, I think, before the arena shows. Right. Maybe not the general admission ones, but um, a place like Mr. Small's, maybe they'll have to put chairs out. But I, you're going to see the 500-seat places bounce back before PBG Paints Arena. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, who's, who's going to fill those small clubs, the local bands and... I'd see that happening. And you know? it's interesting, too, in Pittsburgh, the joke is all, was always that, you know, uh, the guy will go on a date and spend like $50 on drinks at the bar, fa- these fancy ones he can't pronounce, but he won't pay a $5 cover to go see a <laughs> band. But maybe this is what local music might might have needed in the big picture. I mean, it stunk the first year, but now this is where people are going to get their fix locally to get their live music events for, for a while anyway. And the national bands used to getting thousands and thousands of dollars for shows uh, the local bands, uh, they'll do it for for eight hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, whatever like that. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It might work in reverse. It might it might help local music to to a little bit. Um, well, I hope it's a thing. That you you don't know what you got till it's gone. I hope a lot of people are realizing. You know, people who maybe only went to a couple of shows in, in prior years, but man, I, I do need to do this more often. Maybe it is worth going out on a Thursday night and only getting five hours of sleep. Uh, I, I can fake my way through a Friday to do it, you know? So Yeah, you know, it's, it's made me feel that way. I can tell you over the last couple of years, as I got a little bit older, longer in the tooth, there's been some nights that I de- declined to go out. Ah, I'm kind of tired. I think I'll hang in. In years prior, I would have gone. And now, if I had given the opportunity, I would go right now. I mean, I just miss live music. Yeah, because the people, generation ahead of me, they talk about the late 70s, early 80s. You could go to a show four or five nights a week. And that's so hard for me to believe. I went on a Tuesday night, you'd walk oh, in the yeah. Maury Speakeasy and there'd be 300 people. And they said, yeah, maybe that comes back. Uh, a new Roaring Twenties is what I'm trying to say. Well, but- you know, it, it, things are cyclical. And we had a pandemic in what, 17, uh, 19, 17, 18, and 19. And then it was followed by the Roaring Twenties. Right. Who knows? I mean, I'm a little, <laughs> from what I see out there, I'm afraid to, to, to unleash everybody at one time because yeah, yeah. it'll be a little we bit insane. We need to do it right. Yes. It'll be a little bit insane. Yeah. Um, talk a little about your career. Like, uh, what, what, what was the uh, what was the spark in you that, that, was it music? Was it film? What was it that really got you in the entertainment vibe early? I grew up in a two-newspaper home. We get the, remember, there's the Pittsburgh Press and the Post-Gazette, mm-hmm. and I, I was, as a 13, 14 year old kid. I love baseball. I couldn't wait to read the box scores. I know you're an Oakland A's fan. Oh, yeah. You know, that, that oh, to me, that was a thrill. But then I started reading concert reviews and I started these, these bands I liked. I, I realized that someone was making a living going to an Aerosmith show, covering <laughs> Deep Purple, writing about Yes, interviewing Richie Blackmore or something. And I thought, whoa, wouldn't that be an awesome way to make a living? Yeah. So I, I joined my high school paper. My, my first byline was an Aerosmith concert review. The, okay. The 82 show where Steven Tyler was trash and couldn't remember the lyrics. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. You know, I went to do Perry Kendrick. wasn't in great shape either then. Yeah, though. there was no Joe Perry. Yeah. <laughs> was one of their yeah. That's stuff. right. He wasn't there, huh? Yeah, yeah. And then um, you know, I joined the college paper Duquesne, and I, I wanted to write music. And again, Covered an Aerosmith show was one of my first ones, and I, I just kept taking the next level. Started the Beaver County Times, and you'll never guess one of the first bands I covered. It was Aerosmith. So I've, I've been following them. Of course. They've been there everywhere. <laughs> and then I started doing phone interviews. I, I went from, uh, let's see, from Tom Hamilton to Joey Kramer to Brad Whitford to Joe Perry. I kept going up the Aerosmith chain of command. Finally got to Steven Tyler when he was in town for American Idol as one of the judges. I got to raise my hand and ask Steven a question. So my, okay. How cool is that? My there work with you, Aerosmith you, is done. You, you wiped them <laughs> off your list. <laughs> but it all comes back just to reading the, the concert reviews, and I loved it. And even when I was like 15, and I was just starting to go to shows, and I wasn't quite old enough. Uh, it was like, wow, I, I couldn't wait to see what happened. I, I knew uh, Paul McCartney was in town the night before. Oh, I got to read this and see what it was about. And right. Just the thought of, wow, that, that'd be awesome to, to write about that and share that. And, uh-huh. And that, that that was the first uh, the first vibe for you. And this this happened as a kid initially. Yeah, like you were yeah. in high school. Yeah, I mean, again, so, again, thirteen, fourteen. It's hard to. I mean, granted, newspapers were. And I work for a newspaper. I got to be careful. But yeah. <laughs> they were a much bigger deal back. I mean, that, yeah. that was the only game in town. Yeah, TV wasn't doing yeah, much. I remember, I remember, pal. I used yeah. to del- both of those publications you mentioned. I used to deliver as a kid. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember the Sundays were really heavy. I hated the Sundays. And, Sunday and I was a radio geek. I, I would listen. There was like uh, I'm trying to remember some of those shows. They they would do live concerts, and I would stay up and. Tape recording. Remember you would Doctor Demento. You remember yeah, that? ones like that, or what was one of the the King Biscuit Flower King Hour? King Biscuit 
flower. I still have a cassette tape of King uh, King King Crimson's like 1973 yeah, show at yeah, the Stanley, which would just melt yeah. your brain if you listen to it. I know. But I, I, I started listening to radio, and then uh, it was '81, I guess, the great Jim Morrison revival. Ten years after his death, yeah. he was on the cover of Rolling Stone. He's was it, he's young, he's sexy, he's dead, or the headline was something like that. And uh-huh. there was this renewed interest in the Doors, and, and for me, I was like, uh, I, I guess like. 16 or i'm trying to do the math here in my head but right. just getting into serious rock and roll and then i just fell in love with the whole jim morrison story i read no one here gets out alive yeah and i got to see more of the journalism part of it how you could write uh, do a historical account of a great band and right and the writing part of me started to get oh man to be able to interview people and, and share this great musical story uh, that that kind of stoked my interest as well yeah just a, um a little aside on that did you, were you familiar with um the Cameron Crowe movie what was the almost uh, famous yeah, yeah. Yes. did, did yeah. you like did you I'm, I'm guessing you probably dug that movie but i was jealous that he got to do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah they did a good job and then he he goes and uh, marries uh, Nancy Wilson right yeah he did okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that became uh, my favorite movie for a long time there was a and again it's the age you know being 55 it was the era i grew up in it, but it was that era coupled with the way that movie was written and, and my love of music all that together was like i you know what a unbelievable to me what an unbelievable story you know yeah, there was a little more the, the music journalists and the bands were a little closer than there wasn't a layer of, of pr people separating them or, or marketing when did people. that what years did that start to happen who i would put some of the blame on clear channel it became live nation i i think back to when i covered star lake shows in the late 90s they would uh, a person would come around and hand us the set list before the show and they would hand us the attendance figure halfway through the show and it was a little easier to get a hold of some of that information. And then it got a lot more businessy, a lot more secretive. And we, like those articles I talked about, I read in the Pittsburgh Press, it would say 10,300 people showed up last night to see whoever. Right. We don't get those numbers anymore. Right. It got a little more, right. a lot more. I noticed secretive. that. Secretive. Yeah. Attendance used to be something that you would just reveal. Yeah. I've gotten good at estimating them, but, uh, you know. I, I would imagine me, so. Me and Mervis, the post a joke, maybe we should keep really underestimating them by, by thousands, and they'll panic. <laughs> you know, if it's, if it's a sold out 15,000, we say, there are only 9,000 people there. They'll be like, wait a minute. Maybe that's a secret. When uh, Starlight was built, the first year, I think, was 89, 88, 90? I was going to say 90. Was it 90? Yeah. yeah okay. Um, what, you know, being a rock and roll fan and a music journalist, what was your thoughts of the, that shed? Had you gone to different cities and seen outdoor venues prior, or was that a whole new experience for you? That was a new experience, I, I think. I mean, I'd seen some outdoor shows, like a Grateful Dead show in Columbus and everything, but as far as the, the, the shed, like you said, the pavilion, where it's designed a certain way, and I... At first, I really liked it. I, I then, like everyone else, I got stuck in the traffic at Star Lake, and that became. All, but I, I still enjoy it. It's close to Beaver County. Uh, but I, I noticed something really weird. I, I did a list uh, a year ago or so. My favorite shows by venue, and, and some were so. And when I got to Star Lake, like my my top twenty shows, only a handful were there. Like, like David Bowie was, was in ninety was an awesome show, and but a lot of my favorite shows are indoor at arenas. And okay. I'm wondering why. Is it the visuals? Okay. Is it the sound? Is it the okay. crowd? I don't have a theory. What, what are you? So your you didn't put any thought in that. It just happened that way as you as you made your shows. I th- I mean I, there were some great ones at Starlight. Don't get me wrong, like like Jimmy Page with the Black Crows oh, yeah. and uh, yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I mentioned both. But I was front row center on, on charity seats that night. Oh. Section seat row one A A in the center, standing nice. up looking at Jimmy Page, which that was the God of finally, <laughs> finally, I, you know, I was at Mecca. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so, I, but I, I, I don't know if it's the venue's fault or maybe it's just something about indoor that's yeah. a little more, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's more of it, there's more lights, there's more lasers. I, I, or maybe I just grew up seeing so many arena shows that it, it became a comfort area for me. It now. might be. Yeah, that, I think yeah. that's where I'm at too. I, it wasn't that I dismissed outdoor shows. There was something cool about being outside, but you know, it, when that opened in 90, I still was in, you know, still a hard rocker. I was still a metalhead for the most part, to some degree. And metal shows, to me, just didn't translate to the outdoor venue. Yes. If they had a good stage and light show, you know. I mean, I remember seeing, like, Iron Maiden and Kiss and bands like that. And seeing Kiss outdoors and having them start when it was almost kind of light out. Things just didn't look, didn't rush, same thing. Seeing Rush start with no opening act and starting when it was still daylight, that's not how Rush is supposed to be experienced. Right? <laughs> yeah, when Rob Halford brings out the, the the Harley, you need that echoing off the walls of a venue, not not yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's and I saw a Black Sabbath show twenty twenty five years ago in some incarnation of that band where they were outside during the afternoon, and it just does not. There's something about that that theater theater um, theoretical, not theoretical. Um, just the nature of the visuals for heavy metal that translates better to indoor events. I think. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's just me. 
And then I wonder, is the crowd an angle, too? There are people who go to an outdoor show for the tailgate, for the festival. No question. You know what I mean? I mean, if you go to a Jimmy Buffett show, I'd be questioned if half the people can name more than five of his songs. So It's like an event as opposed to being something you really look forward to. It's like something to do. But if you're going to a Tool concert, you know every single song, the set list, what songs, you know, and and it's usually an indoor show, and there's like a harder core... That's audience, interesting. So yeah. in, on, the, on the country music front, I find that a lot, that they become events that people that from all musical genres, people who dig all musical genres, just go because that's the place to go and have some drinks and party, Yeah, as yeah. opposed to really being in love with the act. Right. I'm not totally knocking it. There's something to be said uh-huh. for a good party. But uh, yeah, I just wonder if when I think back to my most memorable shows, uh, some of them were even like an altar bar or something, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Or, or it could have been Club Cafe or whatever, but uh, not too many in the outdoor setting. For you, and, and I ask you this because obviously you've been exposed to pretty much everything. If if Scott Tady is going to have a night out in a utopian society, <laughs> in, in a utopian circumstance where your work was separate from you going out and having a good night of music, what I'm not going to put you on the spot, but what, but what genre generally, or what kinds of music would you prefer to go to for pure in, for, for, for pure enjoyment on your end? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, because I do like a mix, but uh, I I grew up a big progressive rock fan, and and that that's the music that really takes me away. I'm not thinking about what time do I get up tomorrow, or oh, do I do I have a busy day the next day? You know, when I'm, if I'm seeing yes, if I'm seeing, you know, Pink Floyd, if I'm I'm seeing Moody Blues, anyone like that, I'm really just kind of swept away by the music. Okay, and so that'd be your preference then. I think, but then there's something just about uh, I I love Warp Tour too. Uh, to me, Warp Tour I could see 22 bands in one yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they only got 25 minutes, so they had to do their 25 best music, and I love that. And then just move on to the next one. So uh, there's something to be said for that too. And, and again, that's outdoor, which is, I guess is an exception. But I don't I don't know. But progressive rock to me is really something I can get absorbed in. Yeah, and they put a whole. Um, it- Progressive rock to me, those acts, those big acts, I think of Rush just because that's where I grew up on, and I certainly put them in that genre. They really cared about the entire experience for the for the listener. It wasn't like they were going up there like, and and I guess the Stones do to agree, but the Stones are more of a garage band playing in front of eighty thousand people, really, and that doesn't always translate well. But but obviously, uh, progressive or, or theatrical rock does and especially indoors as well too right that's funny you mentioned rush i I was going through some old clips the other day i found i I don't know if it's 2005 2007 you can help me with the year but i had my top 10 shows of the year rush was number one bowie was number two prince was number three man what a year that was boy i don't know it it was bowie at the benedum prince at uh of course melon arena and rush i don't know if it was in when's the last time prince was here whatever year that was i was like man what a year that was and yeah uh, Ben Folds was at Chevrolet Amphitheater. Ben Folds Five. I, yeah. Oh my, that was that is a way back. Yeah, I just stumbled upon this old article. Like, is that '96? Maybe. I think it was in the early 2000s. Oh, is it? I okay. Think. Yeah. Was, was this the, bands go on for so long? And to be a to be a fan of a legacy band who who continues to tour, and they slow down a little bit as they get older. They don't put as many records out. We can talk about that, but but. They've got so many eras. Like when I look at Rush, that band has so many eras. It used to be like old Rush, new Rush. Now there's old Rush, not so old Rush, <laughs> medium Rush, newer Rush, latest Rush. <laughs> I mean, like, they just last forever. I mean, and, and that's I guess that's the that's the crazy part about music is too is that you can. Um, I found that I experience bands I love later in my life as they have grown older in a different way than I did when I was young. It's the same, but kind of not. There any bands you didn't like as a kid? Now you're like, oh, I, I get it. Oh, that's a that's a good for, question. For me, uh, Beach Boys is one. Uh, growing up, I was like, oh, that's California. I don't relate to that. I surf music. Da, 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 da. Interesting. Then you reach a certain age, and, and you listen to Pet Sounds, and you hear the vocal harmonies, and you hear that you see the genius behind you it. Appreciate it. And then you get to see him in concert. Even though I don't care, they're 80 years old. There's still there's just some magic there, and it's like, whoa! I I'm glad I, I I was very late to the party, but I'm glad I joined it. I think for me, it'd be two. Uh, the first one, absolutely, positively, would be uh, Fleetwood Mac. My mother mm. wore those records out <laughs> as a kid, and I just had to listen to them because I was you know I, I was trying to listen to Sabbath and all these other bands then. But then you get older and you realize, oh my God, these are some of the greatest melodic, yeah. rockish style songs ever written. Who's done better than that? You know, in your head, like you know, have I heard anything better than this? 
Um, and then you learn the tension behind it. How uh, exactly Silver Spring, right. Stevie Nicks yeah. is singing to the guy broke her heart, whatever. And, no doubt. And he's standing ten feet away. No doubt. Time. The other thing too, and, and this is going to be a strange one, but the, the Sex Pistols for me because I dismissed that no- noise when I was a little metalhead because that was coming from Britain and I couldn't relate to the whole angst thing. And I was a suburban kid, right? But as years gone by, that record to me was so, it's just a rock record to me. I don't think it's a punk record. It's just rock and ro- hard rock music with a very odd vocalist. So it, it just endeared me. The whole thing, I missed it all. Really, I really missed it. I just didn't pay attention to it. A lot of guys our age, our generation, that's the case. And some of them do revisionist history. They'll, they'll say, oh, I, I was a Ramones fan in high school. No, you weren't. And when you got to college, then you kind of gained the appreciation for them. But a lot of us, it was. We grew up on Iron Maiden, Dio, yeah. Priest, and you know what I mean, <laughs> no, Sabbath. No doubt it, man. And Punk was, was to me, you know what it was? I, I think Motorhead was the guy. I think that's what bridged it for us. No uh, question. Back when Ides record was a thing, oh, you'd go yeah. to Ides. Yeah, It'd yeah. always be the guys with the Mohawk back when that was dangerous <laughs> and exciting. And they would always, Motorhead was the one band everyone could agree on. If you were punk, if you're if you're metalhead, I think that kind of brought us together. Once and it's funny that. too, to other degree, any metalhead will always seem to agree. They may not know any of their music, but the band I'm talking about is Slayer. Yeah, I can't tell you. I can tell you one song, "A Raining Blood." I think is one song that I know in my cog, my consciousness. Don't know anything else, but I, I know they're musicians. I can see them. But when you see Slayer, it's, oh, yeah, Slayer. Meanwhile, no one knows any of their music. Yeah. <laughs> that's a bad, There's I, reverence, but no one knows yes, it. Yes. That's a band I've seen live, and I'm enjoying it, but I'm not on the same level as everyone around me. It's exactly. Like in a religious thing, and I respect that. I, I got nothing bad to say, but I've, I've done some interviews with Carrie and some others. But, uh, yeah, I'm not quite where they are, you know? Yeah. But that's fun. That's a whole. That's the great thing about music, right? I mean, yeah. And you, you covered everything. What was the weirdest show or one of the weirdest shows that you ever seen it could be because of the artist it could be because of what happened that night it could be the event what was just a weird experience for you I think back a lot to Ray LaMontagne at Stage AE it was an outdoor show and it was a typical chatty crowd crowd just yakima and finally he just said shut the F up And and he was serious. He wasn't his joke. And he said, you know, I will. If this is your attitude, I will refund the ticket of anyone here who walks out right now because I want to do my thing. And I, I was like silently applauding him, like, yes, you know, really? I, I'm so glad to hear because people were. I, I for some reason some of those shows there. People, there'll be groups of people in front of the stage turning around, not even facing the stage as they're talking. It's like background music. I, I want to hear Ray Lamont. It's disrespectful. Do his, yeah. But I was so proud that somebody did but it was shocking. It was one of those moments like, oh my God, did you just say that? <laughs> I'm looking so that always stands. I, I, I mentioned, we joked about Aerosmith earlier, how bad that show was. When, in 82. I think I, I was there as a kid, if I yeah. remember correctly. People always ask me the worst show. Uh, and I hate to say it's Justin Bieber because that seems so obvious. And I, I, I've <laughs> it gone seems to, so obvious. <laughs> I've gone to pop shows and like, I've gone, I, I saw One Direction. Okay, I can see. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a Taylor Swift fan. Yeah. But the the Beebs show, uh, the last one he did at PBJ Paints Arena, it was the worst lip syncing ever. He would have like oh. the microphone down by his waist as he's you know quote unquote singing, and it's like, dude, at least give an effort. At least look like you're doing it. And yeah. Just that that to me that was a contempt for his audience. Yeah. He's, I'm not even gonna. You know. So I, as much as I hate to say that was one of the worst shows, it, it was. How much? And I you- went there with an open mind. You would have to. Yeah. <laughs> Post Malone was an opener the, the time before that. And I, I was well, I'm like, who? why are people cheering for this guy? Then two, three years later, he exploded. Now he's everywhere. But Yeah. I and, and, and I guess like like you, you hinted at earlier, you know, we don't have to understand it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pragmatic in my age. I don't have to understand it for it to be valid. If people dig it, they'll pay for it and they like it. That's validity. I don't have to like it. Yeah. It's just it's just validity. And I, but I think a lot of people are just so closed minded when it comes to. Yeah. It's a shame. It's a generational thing. I don't I don't want to end up like my parents were when they saw my music. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I get mad when people <laughs> our age in their sixties and up and, and they'll, they'll say like, oh, there's no good bands today. I'm like, yeah, there are. Yeah, there are. And I, I'm not trying hard enough to find them. Yeah. For a while, there's hope when Greta Van Fleet first came out. A lot of older people I know were like, oh, that they sound like Zeppelin, whatever, and. And they were a flash in the pan, but then their next album came out, and it was like, they're not. I, I think I they rushed feel, them too I soon. I feel the same way. They rushed them. Yeah, I was disappointed. Yeah. Yeah, it was It was like, listen, you close your eyes, and you didn't know the song, but the music and vocals sure sounded like Robert and Jimmy to me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it was funny. I, um, about that band in particular, I don't think it's just the vocalist. I mean, that's the first thing you hear is, oh, that's a young Robert Plant. I pay attention to the guitarist, and I'm yeah. telling you, the, the kids' movements... The, the voicing of the chords, I mean, that is 
<laughs> That's like a little Jimmy Page there. I saw them upstairs at Mr. Small's, the, the clubhouse, and they're, they first came out. There were only like 100 people there, and he was doing the behind his back, how about his head kind of guitar skill. You know, he was doing like Hendrix chicks, tricks, but playing like Jimmy Page, and it was it was spectacular. Then yeah. the next time they were at Stage 8, it was good, it was fun, it was exciting, but the next album came out, and now they, they've lost a lot of momentum, and now I'm, it seems like yeah. people have kind of... Uh, well, they've got to write things to stand on their own. They got to get beyond their actual uh, the, imi- the imitation of Zeppelin because they can say they're not doing it. Obviously, obviously, you don't do something so close to the book like that and not be aware of yeah, it, right? Yeah. You think back Oasis, they they sounded so much like the Beatles when they started out, and I, I was always surprised. They got a free pass from that. I was surprised more people were like, oh, you're ripping off the Beatles for some reason. They did get a free pass yeah, from that. Yeah. They did get a free pass I think because the, the Gallagher Buzz were so quotable, the, the British press just loved them. They, they knew they could rely on them to do something crazy and start a fight. And It, it was great ink. It, it was great to write about it. I, I think that's why they wanted to perpetuate that. And now, they, they got to be better songwriters. Yeah, I, yeah, I do yeah. like them, but yeah. I was always surprised they didn't get they didn't get slogged off more for that. The kids that... Um, that I worked with in the uh, guitar years, I kind of felt sad for because this would have been 2004 on. I noticed that the guitar heroes were going away. Like mm. Zach Wilde, um, there was some lesser known, John Petrucci, some, some lesser known guitarists in you know a, a medium scale bands. But the pure guitar hero seemed like they're just ebbing away. I don't even know who there is right now. With Eddie Van Halen being the heavyweight and no longer being here, I don't know who is left as a quote-unquote guitar hero. Someone's going to get a young kid involved in rock and roll and someone he can look up to. And the, That guitar hero thing doesn't seem to be around anymore. What's your thoughts on that? That's very true. I, I remember we used to argue on the school bus, like, who's the greatest drummer? You know, <laughs> Neil Peart, no, John Bonham. Uh, I, I always put in, like, Ian Pace of Deep Purple. But yeah, yeah, d- d- good I, choice. I don't know if kids do that. I, I, I guess they don't. They don't argue things like that. And is it because the skill level isn't there? Or is it because the, there's just other things that people are focused on? Is it more of the visual? Is it more of the... You know how they look on TikTok, or, or you know what their their Twitter presence is. I don't know, but you're right. I'm trying to think who's who's the current great guitar. I, there was kind of that second wave. We had like Jack Way, we had yeah. uh, Tom yeah. Morello, but as yes. far as now, yes. people the last ten years, yeah, I'm struggling to to come up with a name of who would be the the, the pinnacle. Yeah, and I, and that industry, that musical instrument industry, especially with guitars, and, I, and to a lesser degree, I'd imagine drums. They're the, they really rely on kids being. You know, they're icons. That's why you see endorsement deals. You know, why guitarists play certain guitars because they're trying to get the get people to buy. Um, and it just, it's, it's you know, it's life. I get it. It's business. But to me, being entrenched in it, it's a little sad to see music change in a way where um, the instrument is kind of de-emphasized now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think the, the song, if it was truly organic music, that'd be wonderful. But what's your thoughts on electronic music? I mean, it... it Going back to the 70s, when really, I guess, the, the Moogs and the Synths started then, as to what we have now, like, have we, have, we, have we really lost anything, or it's just different now? I've gone to some shows to try to grasp. I've seen, like, Skrillex, and I remember Starlake had a, um, like, an EDM yeah. festival once, and, uh, you know, I'm, I've interviewed Steve Oki, and I'm, I'm trying to get more of a grasp for it, but I, I, what, what I resent is how much of it is live, you know what I mean? Even even like Girl Talk from Pittsburgh, great. You know, that's a fun one of the funnest shows you ever see. But I'm wondering, well, basically he's using a mouse and clicking on some pre-recorded things. Yeah, you know, right. and how how live is that? And I, it's more about the spectacle. It's more about the the people dancing. And I, I get it. People want to go out and dance and have at it. But uh, as a music fan like you, I I I want to be staring at the guitars and saying, how's he making that sound? Right. I want to see how crazy the drummer is playing and. I'm not getting it's that. It's different from... now. It's not the. It's not the same thing. Yeah. We, we call it music because I guess that's what our definitions is of it. But I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I think I've had so many artists on this show, uh, but and the consensus seems to be that computer technology has not been music's friend. Hmm. I'll go with that. I, I resent now that I have to really study and see if the singer is singing live all the time. <sighs> I mean, we've gotten so used to pre-recorded tracks, backing tracks, whatever, that yeah. sometimes, like, I don't want to be gushing about this person, how great their voice was, if, if wait a minute, they weren't even singing. I, I mean, there was a big debate, uh, the inauguration, Jennifer Lopez, how much of that was live, and a lot of people thought just the very end was, and I mean, it sounded fabulous. I, I was in the other room when she started singing, I was like, wow, that sounds really good. And then later, you, you find out why. Well, maybe 20% of it was live. And I resent that as a music fan, I have to focus extra on, is this person really singing to me right now? It, it shouldn't be so accepted. Good point. I mean, I I remember when Kiss went out two years ago for this last this last farewell tour, and I couldn't believe I was hearing 
that that band, the band that used to just really criticize every band that ever had backing tracks or you know, lip syncing, they criticized them on stage. They criticize them that they were doing it now too, and it was just disheartening to me. Like if it really if because that blurs the line between real and not real or live and not live. Like are we now just conditioned to believe that live music involves these things? Right. Everyone's asked me what I thought about the the weekend, his Super Bowl halftime performance, and my answer was I, I saw a lot, but I didn't feel anything. I, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't get a sense of you know how much of the singing was live, and I, the, the songs they're fun on the radio, but as far as a live performer, there was a, I don't know, like Bruno Mars, I felt a lot when he was dancing and, and you know doing these these cool moves and, and singing his heart off, and I right. loved that. You know, like right, a lot right, of people. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think back to the the Prince Super Bowl show. I think back to Springsteen. You, you think of some of the great ones and. Uh, Lady Gaga I thought was fabulous and she seemed to be singing from her heart and it wasn't perfectionist singing but she was singing live you know what I mean yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I don't know sometimes it gets awash in the production and we're kind of de-emphasizing the actual performance how has writing reviews changed uh, throughout your career what in regards to like um nationally music genres have changed uh music genres have blended a music genre is pretty much dictated by record companies anyways that's how it started but like the process of writing a review and your expectations, like, like now you're expecting some of these legacy bands to have lip syncing as part of their, you have to kind of maneuver your review around that. Yeah. Whereas if they did that nonsense in 85, they would get trashed for that. People would throw bottles on the stage if they <laughs> saw them lip syncing, yeah. right? But yeah. now it's almost accepted. Is that part of, do you, t- you take into account the era we're into as you write a review or is, you, is your style pretty much the same now as it always has been? Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I need a smoking uh, smoking gun if I'm going to call someone out for not like the Justin Bieber one was obvious. So sometimes I, I'm seventy percent of me sure it's pre-recorded, but I, I just don't have enough to put that in print. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'll dance around every once in a while. Um, one thing that's gotten better is I, I'm I'll go to a show and I'll write the review the next morning and I'll have it online by like ten a.m. We figure by ten a.m. people are online. Yeah, I, yeah. There was a time in the late nineties where they wanted it the next day and I, I was missing the end of show sometimes to meet deadline. You two in two thousand maybe one of the best top three shows I ever saw, but I missed most of the encore because I, I was writing my review. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That's like reviewing a movie and well, I didn't see, the, see ending, the ending, but right. yeah, right. So I, I think people are more relaxed with that. Readers are more relaxed on when they wake up the next morning, when, you know, their their work computer, then they're a couple hours in, they're bored. Oh, now I'll see what the review said. So, so I'm cool with that. Um, to me, one of the, the most slippery slopes now is the hashtag on Twitter. If I'm reviewing a show and I hashtag the artist, that's slippery. Like if you're, you're not going to do that if you're slamming the band. If the band stinks, you're not going to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I worry, are some reviewers being a little extra kind, figuring, well, if that's hashtag, and, and you know, the, the think, think of an artist, uh, Graham Nash shares this with his 10, you know, 15,000 followers, and I'm going to get more clicks. My newspaper's going to see, hey, I got more clicks on this review. Uh, not often do I hashtag in a review, but uh, every once in a while. But I, I always worry: is that is that the right thing to do? Yeah, I, I get totally get it. Where it, where the review becomes uh, a puff piece. Yeah, you know that the artist can use. I'm sure every artist is going to use any good review, but if it's written with integrity, then so be it, right? Yeah. But I've uh, had something like, like Hailstorm shared mine, and I, I didn't purposely hashtag them, but they shared it, and it went bonkers. It went you know thousands of views. So right. those ones are cool. But I, I see a lot of reviewers will will do that, and I, I always wonder if that's the right thing. How uh, the fan experience, uh, you being a music fan and growing up a music fan and then also being in the business, how has the fan experience changed for the good and the bad in regards to the internet? Was the internet the big change, the the, the big, in 96-ish when the internet started to proliferate, was that the, the monumental thing that changed everything? Naturally downloading, we'll get there, but the fan experience. Do you think there was a big title change in the mid-90s with the proliferation of the internet? Yeah, I think it's... I raised a bit of the wall. I think more fans get to meet their heroes now. I mean, granted, you're paying more, but you're able to go on their their fan club site. You're able to to sign up for something. You're able to, you know, get meet and greets uh, from the internet, and and you, you see what they're doing more. It's not as controlled by the labels. Uh, bands seem to have a little bit more freedom on, on how they share themselves through Twitter. Um, I know what what Wiz Khalifa is thinking at all hours because he's tweeting, <laughs> he's high tweeting, but I, you know, I feel like I know. So. I, I think it was a little bit more, we were a little more distanced back then, but then part of me thinks, well, maybe that was cooler to, yeah. you know, Mystery. I mean, they, they were more mystical now. I, yeah, I, I don't know if I want to, and maybe you met Richie Blackmore, but if I was backstage with him, 
I don't. Maybe I'd be better off not meeting him. You I, might be disappointed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a good point too. <clears throat> that's a good point. Where I was having this conversation with my son that um, musical artists and music in general, it seems for him and maybe some of the, his friends that I can observe, it takes a different. It, it's it's viewed differently. It's not it's not viewed with a reverence or with an astonishment that maybe we had because they were distant, elusive people when we were young. Right. The thing about Rush was that those three guys were so weird, and all you knew about them was what was written on that line, the liner notes of that album, <laughs> yeah. and maybe DV once in a while would throw a song on there. But the point was you didn't know anything else, so that created an aura about them. But now with the communication being such that artists are tweeting out constantly all day long. Are we are we losing something in the in the experience of being a, a quote unquote fan? Yeah, it's not quite as mystical. Um, though I, I did my I actually saw enough shows to do a top ten last year concert, and I had the, the Tubes concert at Jurgles number one, and like a month later, the Tubes themselves reached out to me. Hey, thanks, Scott, on, on Twitter. So like fourteen year old me would have been pretty stoked to know that uh, sure. Feeway Bill knew who I was yet alone. Sure. So there's that, but 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 yeah, they're, they're I don't know they're, they're not quite as Godlike as they used to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and maybe that's maybe just a good thing in that too. But yet, you look at society in general. A lot of the, the tw- like the Rock, you know, his popularity. It's a, a Rock is one of the most popular people in the world, and you can't tell me that Instagram did not help create that, right? Yeah. yeah. So you have those folks, the el- the elite in society in terms of um, I don't know popularity. You have that, but then the regular quote unquote musicians and artists are so accessible to their fans constantly. I think it just takes away from the experience of it, you know. It is a whole other art form now. Uh, bands have to learn how to how to, you know, promote themselves and not rely on some PR person from a label. They have to know how to be engaging. Uh, but some do it really well, like Jason Isbell. I I, I love his his. Right. T- he's not afraid to get into any controversy. He'll jump right in and say something very profound. And uh, maybe eighty percent of the time I agree with him, but I'm always like, oh, that's good. <laughs> so he's an example. But a lot of others, it's just it's just babble. I'm not getting the same. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then there's timing. I remember the one year, and this is going back, of course, but it was, uh, it might have been when Joe Paterno died or something like that, but Lady Gaga tweeted, uh, hey, my new album comes out. It was, and there was like a natural disaster somewhere, like like some terrible, terrible news. And right in the middle of that, she tweeted, hey, my new album's out. And I'm sure that they planned that 10 hours in advance at 10 p.m., but it, the timing was so bad, a lot of people were like, Responding, like, you know, don't you see what's going on in the world, or whatever? And right, 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 so the, right. But there's an right, art right. to it, and, and I part of me feels sorry for the bands because I have to do it as a journalist. I have to promote myself. I have to well, certainly first thing I do every Sunday morning is I post my column and I, I try to engage readers and I think of try to think of amusing things to say to get them talking back to me. Yeah. And reading. Do you like the new landscape? I mean, you know, if this all existed maybe 20 years ago in, in your career, would you embrace it with the same zeal that you're doing it now? Or did you feel, would you feel that you have to kind of have to do it now because that's reality? Uh, I guess both. I, I like having a wider audience now. I'll, you tweet something and you'll get a person who doesn't live within range of Beaver County or Pittsburgh right. responding to it. So that's kind of cool, the bigger reach. Right. Uh, but, but I hate chasing the numbers. I hate if I'll post something and I'll, I'll look back two hours later, oh, only 12 people liked it. Then you feel like you failed. Yeah. You know, the reviews, it's a weird currency, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I, I put too much weight on these numbers. I, I wish I could stop doing that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I like the accessibility. I like more people can see it, but, but then if they're not liking it, then I, I feel I, I failed, and that, that, that can't be healthy for anybody. It's a strange currency because I'm not really I'm not convinced that the number of likes really, especially in your case, it it really it really isn't probably the best barometer as to who you reach because I think a lot of people ingest content, they don't do anything with it, they they ingest it and move on. Right. They don't put a, their signature stamp on there. They're not compelled to do that. Doesn't mean that you haven't reached people, but then how do you? I don't know. How how do you? Where's the where's the proof of that? You know, it's a strange, it's a strange currency. <laughs> Um, are you a big album guy? Do you like albums? Uh, do you still have that fondness for the vinyl? Yeah, I have two turntables, and I can't get either <clears throat> one of them to work. I don't know if I'm missing a wire or something, because I have, you know, I'm, I probably still have about 400 vinyl albums. I, I sold a bunch a few years ago to make room when I was downsizing, but yeah, to me, there's never been a better sound. That that warmth you get when the, the needle in the groove, that, right. that vinyl sound, it just has not been topped, and uh I, I do like to play vinyl. I need to get my, and I'm so excited. Manaka now has a vinyl store, Inner Groove Records in downtown oh, Manaka. Yeah. There Beaver you County. go. There they you go. They open late December and uh, seem to be going well. People on Facebook sharing their finds. And I'm like, oh, Very man, cool. I, I need to get that out. Very cool. 
So you remember Dr. Doyle's disc, <clears throat> disc then? Yes. I used to buy used records down there in the 80s. The numbers are back. Uh, the vinyl sales are actually up quite a bit, and it is the young people. God bless them. It, yeah. it is the millennials and even Gen X now that are, yeah. are the ones that are getting into it. And uh, I, I can see why. They, they've been, like you, we were talking about the liner notes. That was just magical to... To sit back and, and try to read inner meetings. Oh, why is this guy wearing a sweater on this album? What, what is it that, you know? And, and but that's all we had. Yeah. I mean, like, I remember <laughs> remember just the, the weird quirkiest things. I was sharing this the other day, uh, Scott. I, I remember looking at these rush sleeves as a kid. You know, I must have been like 10 or 8. And everything was so weird. Like, oh, that's how Canadians must dress. You know, they're <laughs> a, and I saw Alex Lifeson in a sweater that looked exactly like the one my mother bought me. Oh. This plain cable knit gray sweater. And I'm going... Hey, that's pretty normal. He's wearing that with <laughs> jeans and Adidas tennis shoes. That's like a, he's like a normal guy. Like you just, the weirdest things you could attach as a child, but it, without that, there was nothing else. Right? Maybe that meant your oh, mom yeah. was cooler than you were. Yeah, my, my mother was very cool. No <laughs> doubt about that. But, but, I, I but guess, yeah, you think like uh, The Land Lies Down on Broadway, the Peter Gabriel Genesis one, and there's a whole novel inside the liner. Now you exactly. can literally read that like a book and I've, re- I've read it a yeah, hundred times. And the so. artists want, that's part of their experience in putting that out. And it seems like, and there was, those things were miniaturized in CDs. I guess there was booklets and things, but you lost the big chunk there, but we lost everything with digital downloading, right? And bands will ask me, do you want me to send, I, we have a new album, do you want a CD or do you, or do you want an MP, more often than not it's MP3 or SoundCloud. And I love the accessibility of that. I can just, a couple clicks, band, I'm already listening to it, but I find I'm not 100% focused as much because I'm at a computer. I hear a ding. What? Oh, I got an email. Let me see what it is. Um, oh, while I'm listening, I'll, I'll go on Facebook, see what's going on. I'm not 100% focused. If I was listening to a CD or a vinyl album, I, that would be my focus. I, I wouldn't be... Very good point. Other competition from other sources wouldn't be hitting me. Very good point. I just find it amazing that here we are talking about CDs in the past tense and talking about how the, that's so much better than digital downloading when I remember when CDs came out, I was pushing back because I couldn't, there was, I wasn't getting all the goodies. I wasn't getting like all the stuff in the, you know, you get the, I used to buy a, a Kiss, the first Kiss CD had like nothing on the inside to pull out. It was just like a piece of paper that had the picture of the band on it. Yeah, what's the point of a physical graffiti CD? Right. You need the, the Yeah, crazy that bow. was part of the whole magic. But um, so so let's talk a little bit about downloading. Um, well, let me one more thing. One yeah, thing, yeah. thing I've always resented about CDs. If you remember, they promised us they would last ninety nine years. Do you remember that promise? Yeah. I have so many CDs that skip and have broken, or that, that was that was a bill of goods they sold us, and so many people believe. There's them. no question that they were indestructible. Yeah. I remember right. hearing that too. Right. Yeah. Okay. They're in, they're not indestructible, and they scratch. Yes. Exactly. Rather easily, as a matter of fact. And the other thing too, which was disappointing, and I. I don't know if I was mentally sophisticated enough from a technology standpoint to, to to tell you at that time what I was hearing, but I knew that those first pressing CDs were not of the same musical quality as my vinyl. Right. I could hear it. It was tinny, compressed. That's the and word, tinny. Warble, warble, like a little bit. I guess the oversampling rate wasn't perfected at that in 85, but they've gotten so much better. I get it. But I remember the early quality control was so bad on those CDs. There was a 15-minute phase there talking about digital audio tape, that, and that was going to be, yeah. the cassette tape was going to sound as good as your vinyl album. And yeah. Somehow the industry killed that. I don't know if it was too good and they feared it or if it wasn't as good as they hoped. That's very interesting. What happened to that? Let's, let's try to bring that back. Weren't artists using that in the studio, I think, for a while? I think like so. Like in the 80s. Yeah. Like the record, because I remember uh, for a long time, this, this is kind of geekish, but if you looked at the bottom of a CD, it would say DDD or ADD, so it was like, Analog record, digitally mixed, and digitally mastered, and that would give you an indication of the of the t- technology. And it was on every CD, and you could you would know. And Rush was one of the few few bands that had like all digital. Mm. And I remember going, "Wow, that's pretty powerful." But I guess it comes down to the engineer and so forth. But that was a thing, and it did kind of. Quite, remember the mini disc? Yeah, 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 yeah. What yeah. happened there? Yeah. Casingles, we had casingles, and yeah, yeah, the whole thing went away. <laughs> when um, downloaded for, downloading first started with the proliferation of the internet, what where did you first learn about? It? Like, where, where were you first exposed to Napster or whatever that primitive MySpace? Remember, uh, remember MySpace, MySpace. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's when you first were. Yeah, I got to the point where bands were sharing it on their music, sharing it there first, or if you wanted to listen to it. 
I remember there was what was the Radiohead album? That was one of the first where it was only coming out digitally. It's like, well, I, I remember that. I guess I got to download it. I guess I can't go to uh, like the Kid A album. I, I bought on a cassette tape in a record store in you know Robinson Town Center. <laughs> the album after that, no, that wasn't an option. So yeah, so yeah. I, I I was dragged into it a little bit, but. I, again, there there are some advantages the, the accessibility and everything. I, I can listen on my my little cell phone here if I need yeah. to. And, but uh, artists took it on the chin financially. There's no question. Your legacy artists, especially, their their ASCAP checks just literally almost evaporated overnight. From but what is the Spotify pay rate? It's decimal points. It's you ridiculous. need to be played like like fifty thousand times to get a dime or something. It's just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I'm not, I don't even understand how they're monetized right now. But I could I you know in the years that um, we were in the guitar business, it was just starting. Napster had come around in '99, and I think the whole Napster. Lawsuits were 2001, 2002, whatever. Lars Ulrich of Megadeth was, or Metallica was involved in that nonsense. Yeah, remember people, that stuff? Yeah, people uh, made him out to be a demon for that, and now it looks like he knew what he was doing. And yeah, they, was, they all lost. I mean, yeah. see, all these legacy bands who did, and that's why I, that's, I, that's my theory, Scott, as to why so many of these older bands are still touring. I think it's because, I think some of them have to, because didn't the, didn't everything get turned upside down? Where Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't bands used to tour to support the record sales? Right. And then everything now is flipped where the music's become kind of disposable. There's no revenue coming from there, so I tour to make money. Stephen Colbert had a joke once. Music is like porn. Nobody pays for it anymore. And <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> but there's truth to that, right? Is, there really is. And you're, you nailed it. Uh, bands have to tour because they're not getting the revenue they were back in the day when they were selling you know, a million and a half albums, and okay. it's pretty rare that anyone's selling that. So, knowing that bands have to tour to survive now, so that's the emphasis, not the recorded material. You and I would come to the logical conclusion that if that's the case, then live shows should be way better today than they were in the prior <laughs> years. I don't think that's entirely the case, though. Do you? There are more of them. I think I have more choices, but I think there are more bands too. Uh, it, it was a a huge deal when they uh, when Judas Priest announced a new album, and we would see it in Hit Parader or some circus. magazine, and we look for yeah, circus. We look forward to that for the next couple of months, and it came out. And now bands will overnight secretly release something, uh, so it, the market's saturated. But I, I think there's more bands to see because there's so many to keep tabs with. But it, it's not the same level. Like oh my god, I'm, I'm going to be in, seeing Yes at the Mellon Arena you know, or Civic Arena, whatever, and I, I can't believe I. I in the same building with these guys. Yeah. Are so they, okay. uh, there, there's more now. There's there's a quantity more. I, I don't know if it's always the quality, but yeah, it, it, qual- quality is real subjective. There's definitely. I think there's more. You, you said you don't you don't think the shows are as good. What, I, I, I just don't. I, I I would think that if they were touring to support the record sales, there was a acceptable level of, of concerts we got kind of a used to, and they want you to dig the music and go buy the record. They were getting paid primarily off the record, and usually they could break even, make a little money with t-shirt sales, but the, it was really to get paid off of that record. With that all gone, you think the only revenue stream they have is live music for the most part, that they would put all their effort into just making the most unbelievable show imaginable and hope that they'll get some more streams of it, right? Which the residual benefit, well, if it comes, it comes, but I'm going to make as much money as I possibly can on this tour. I don't know if the shows are exponentially better today than they were in the prior decades, I don't know. Yeah, you think they would be? I, I think the industry is more forgiving, or was more forgiving back then. Think of like Pink Floyd; uh, their first three, four albums were they, they didn't really sell that well. It wasn't you know Dark Side came out seventy two, Guma Guma or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, Saucer Full of Secrets, uh, the, the Piper, the Gates of Dawn. <laughs> that is so some weird stuff, man. Now I think when a band comes, out, if your first album doesn't isn't a smash, you're dropped. Uh, your history. Ah. You know what I mean? So I, I think. Ah, but, but I don't know if it's good, good or bad. Good or bands, they're, they're, There's more of them now. They, yeah, right. It's not as big of a deal. And be, do they need to... Are they trying too hard to come up with something that's... You know, a room full of 10 consultants said, this may be a hit if you do this. Uh, you know what I mean? Oh, I hope not. They're not. Bands aren't allowed to organically grow like, like a Pink Floyd did, like a Yes did. The first few Yes albums, you know, okay. But 70 came out, the Yes album with all the hits. And then... So, but they developed. It, it took them a while to get to that point. I, I don't know if, if bands get that same chance anymore. Hmm, Maybe that's, that's a good not point. fair. What's your thoughts on Pittsburgh as a rock and roll town? I mean, and if you take your, your parochialism out of it and you set it over here and just look at it objectively based upon your career and what you know to be true or assume to be true, what is your thoughts on how we rank compared to maybe Cleveland or some of our neighboring air Buffalo, Baltimore, places like that? I mean, can we hold our own or are we still a live music town? 
I think we are. I, I like the diversity here. I, I like the fact that it's not just one. We're not putting our eggs in one basket. It's not Seattle grunge. You know, it's not Austin. Uh, you know, uh, Americana, whatever, like that. You, you can you can hear everything across the board: hip hop, R and B, jazz, rock, blue, you name it. Um, but then again, it'd be great to be at someone on the national level that people pointed back to us. You know what I mean? Uh, like. I mean, who is Pittsburgh's biggest? You want to go Code Orange right now? They're they're yeah. a great hope, and I'm, I'm hoping yeah, they do bring hope. But we don't have, uh, you know, trying to think of an example. Uh, you think Seattle, you, you think Pearl Jam, you think Nirvana, right? You know what I mean? You, right. you think of some of the. Well, we have Wiz was Khalifa, right? I mean, right. And we have Mac Miller, I guess we you know, but, definitely, but, definitely. Oh, and and Daya, the the pop singer, I, I'm yeah. predicting big things for this year. But yeah, as yeah, far yeah. as uh, the rock scene, I, I don't know if if we really. I mean, we we love Donnie Iris, and Donnie Iris is a national act. I, I found his vinyl records in, in right on. on Bourbon Street, New Orleans. Right on. But as far as the national scene, part of me wonders, I, I wish we had more national respect, I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. If you took, I've always said, that if you took like the top, pick a number, 10, 20 Clark songs, put them up against the top 10 Goo Goo Doll songs, or top 10 Matchbox 20 songs, whatever, Clarks are much better. Bury them. Much better. No question. But why did those other bands get something that the Clarks didn't, uh, you know, that, that kind of bond? That's the one, uh, that band will be the one that goes down for me as the mystery of why they just never hit. And we've had great local acts uh, all throughout, you know, I mean, you you could speak way more intelligently than me, but I, I'm a big Norm Nardini fan. You know, Norm Nardini is, is Pittsburgh to me. Joe Grishecki, you know, the, the silencers, Billy Price, I can still consider him a Pittsburgher. I mean, these are people you, you, I would gladly pay five times what I pay for a national act just to go see them play, especially now. But the Clarks, that band was so much better than most of these national acts in their era, you know, 90s, late 90s. Like, you know, you wonder why it just, just didn't happen. I thought one mistake they did in that Let It Go album came out. They released as the first single, that Snowman song. Yeah. And the second thing was Better Off Without You. And that was that was such a great song, a song so many people can relate Agreed. to, a breakup song. Agreed. There's a little part of me that thinks if they would have put that one out, maybe, maybe. that would have been the difference. Maybe. But then Joe Grishecki's been asked that question a zillion times. Why do you wish you would have been bigger? Should you? And he says, well, I decided to stay in Pittsburgh. I didn't move to New York. Yeah, and, I think all of them did. And it's paid off in, in, in many ways, but there's always that wonder, well, what would have happened if he would have moved to Pittsburgh? and. But yeah. then again, he might not have loved living in New York. Yeah, you hear that story too. That people have gone on. Um, I'm trying to think what jazz artists I was. I was hearing. Uh, oh, but George Benson was a big Pittsburgher, and he moved out. And, right. Uh, I just saw a jazz uh, man. Who's the drummer? Roger, Roger Humphreys. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. He, was, he was asked yeah, that yeah, once, yeah, yeah. and yeah, if he would have moved elsewhere, but uh, he's he doesn't regret he didn't. It was much better staying in Pittsburgh. He he felt better with people in Pittsburgh. So right. I don't know. It was that trade off, but I I do wish we had more of a national stature. Where people thought Pittsburgh. They thought uh, we know it's good. We we know it. There's there's a lot of great clubs, a lot of great bands, and I I think the radio is pretty supportive here. Uh, you know. Yeah. I, I, more than it was ten years ago, fifteen years. No ago. no question. Yeah. Now what elements of rusted root were Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, they all were. Yeah, yeah all of them were. Yeah, and you, you think about it, they—they were torn with the dead. They—they tore with Santana. Oh, they, they, they had Brothers. a great run. Yeah, they had a great run. Uh, something internal happened there, and I'm sure it didn't help the, the singer Gilbucky was dating uh, no. Jen Wurtz in the band. I'm sure. No, that, no, no, none of that stuff. <laughs> none of that stuff helped. <laughs> they, they, I'm sure. You got to release your rumors album first, and then, <laughs> then break that. <laughs> but I, I mean, if you remember what a great live band they were, though. But yeah, but yeah that, that's another one. I, and you still hear their their song in the Enterprise rental car commercial. So I, I yeah, they they they, they did make. And Jim it. Donovan is the drummer has got his own gig here in Pittsburgh too. I know right. some of the band members there. That's, I mean, it's good he used music. To, he used to teach a yoga slash drum thing right here in downtown Coriolis. Yeah. I remember doing a yeah, story. Good, 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 solid stuff. I mean, like really good, solid music. But like you said, you just wonder. Like like Cleveland, it's funny. Cleveland claims to be the the birthplace of of really American rock and roll, right? Mm. And you know, who knows? But. They seem to hold that over us. That you know, the <laughs> Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's there, and Cleveland's more of a rock and roll town. Do you believe that? Um, no, I, I lived in Sandusky, and I went to Cleveland for like a year. I, I, it's a great town to me. They're, it's very similar to Pittsburgh. I, I think we get too locked into the, the sports rivalry. Um, better, I, I'd say equal. I'd say we're about, okay, really? we're about the same. Yeah. Okay, because I, 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 have you gone to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah, yeah, and I, I've seen some shows at, at Blossom Music Center. And yeah, I, yeah, I saw, I have, I have um, too. you know, shows downtown and everything like that. It's like uh, the shed. I feel, it really same, is. The same really feels is. a store yeah. like, right? They they get more bands, and we they like I, I had to see Radiohead there twice because back then Radiohead wasn't coming to Pittsburgh, and it seems like they were getting some acts we weren't. But uh, you, you can do that. You, know, you I mean, it's not that big of a deal. They're not that many bands. They're not getting, you know. 
Well, although like Florence and the Machine played there and didn't play yeah. Pittsburgh. Every once in a while, I yeah, can come up yeah. with an example. Is that more about our tax base, though? Like, I, I know that like a lot of bands don't want to play down in Allegheny County because I guess the entertainment taxes are higher there. I think if they look at the numbers, too, if you're just judging the, the population of the city, Pittsburgh ranks like, what, like 27th? Yeah. And Cleveland's like 13th. It's decreasing, Of course, too. here, it's all the little municipality. I mean, our metro area puts right. us much higher. But if, if, right. if you're a PR marketing guy and you're like, oh, Pittsburgh, that's like the 27th biggest city. Well, we're only doing the got 25 it. biggest city. Sorry, guys. So got it, got it, got it. kind of works against us. As a journalist, what is your thoughts on the concept of a rock and roll Hall of Fame? The Hall of Fame, I like, I support. Oh, I, I'm doing it backwards. The museum. The museum I like and support. Hall of Fame to me is silly. I, I don't need someone to say, okay, now now we're going to put yes in the Hall of Fame. Now, okay, oh, now I guess they're, you know I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I like to have fun with it because people get so worked up about it. <laughs> they do. When, when, they, when they announce the nominees, it's good, it's good content, I, huh? I post it right away, yes, yes, and I'll fan the flames and, uh, oh, I can't believe, uh, how come Judas Priest isn't there? Well, now that they're nominated. Or, you know, so it gets people worked up, but we need, we need a Hall of Fame. It's cool to see all that old memorabilia and, and uh, to learn some stuff, but I'm, I keep saying it backwards. We need the museum. Yeah, yeah, we need the museum, right. Pro Museum, anti-Hall of Fame, but I, I don't know. And I also don't like that eight times out of ten they had the reception in New York. Yeah, why did they do that? Because, heaven forbid, uh, you know, they come to a flyover state, some of these. these well, it's just crazy. Big, I mean, there, it should be there at, at the damn museum, every right? Every year, every year, yeah. It, so is the, is the Hall of Fame, is it really disconnected from the actual museum, or is it together? Same same building, uh, you know, the top floor. Yeah, the top but, of the Hall of Fame. right. And then the, the great debate, and people always go into this, well, is it a Rock Roll Hall of Fame? Okay, how can uh, Mary J. Blige be nominated? And uh, how can Janet Jackson be in it? And things like that. And uh, I, I see the argument, and I'll just, just to be contrarian, I'll, I'll argue the opposite side, no matter what someone's saying. But uh, I guess to me, it should just be, it should mainly be Rock Roll. They should have a, a wing that, that kind of acknowledges the other influences of, mm -hmm. you know, the... How do you delineate the MC like, Beastie Boys? Okay, they're not rock and roll, but they they work with rock. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, but how do you delineate what the hell rock and roll is? Here we are labeling again, which I think, yeah. which what I love about the younger generation, what I love about my children's generation is that they are basically throwing the big middle finger to all these labels because they're going to just like what they like and yep. dismiss what they don't. Yep. I think that's healthy. Our generation doesn't seem to like that very much, but like uh, case in point, when you had the rapper that did the country song and it became this huge hit. And you have oh, Old Town on, Road. Yeah, well, people yeah. on both sides. You know, your your R and B folks and, and and your urban music folks didn't like that, and the country music folks didn't like that. But I'm like, okay, don't like it. But I mean, why is why is your label of something valid? And and if I if I don't deem to if if I deem not to uh, make it applicable in my life, it's not it's it's your label. You put that label right. on there, right? That's a great debate. And I mean, when people go too hard on that, well, it shouldn't be. Hardcore rock and roll. Then I'll argue the other side, just just to just have a good fun. What debate. is rock and roll though? I mean, if you <laughs> yeah. like, if, you, if they were gonna say, oh well, it should only be a rock and roll hall of fame. So Run DMC shouldn't be in there. Okay, so at what point? What band gets to the edge of rock and roll before going to something else? Like, what's the where's the cutting line, right? Yeah, like where's it at? You can debate that forever. Yeah. I mean, is the, is the knack rock and roll? <laughs> I mean, like, is that the edge of like pop and rock and roll? The knack. We'll use the yeah. knack as the defining line. Yeah. Anything harder than the knack is rock and roll. <laughs> Anything softer is pop music. I don't know. But Jay Z's going to get in before Dave Matthews Band. Does that make sense? I don't know. I mean, uh, no, it, he's it richer. He's got more to money. Me, to me, really? <laughs> yeah. Good point. Good point. Good he's point. He's probably more influential as a musician. I'm, I'm sure. But um, you know, Dave Matthews Band is a very big part of. What a rock and roll thing is, where fans come out and see two of his shows back to back, and you shouldn't know. it just be popular music like Hall of Fame? Like, just call it popular called, music yeah, Hall of Fame. There I you mean, go. And this solves the but whole. But in Cleveland, well, we we invented the term rock and roll. Alan Freed, uh, you know, yeah. stole a term that was already used by musicians. <laughs> he, he just was smart enough to coin it, I guess. <clears throat> and Porky Chadwick was our version of Alan Freed, right in town. There used to be a, a at the rock and roll uh, museum. There, there was a thing that honored groundbreaking DJs and you would press a button you could hear them do a little bit of their platter that's cool and Porky was one of them you could hear him doing a you know daddy of the radio push the platter push the platter <laughs> yes, you had headphones on so I, I don't know if that's still there but uh, it, it was a neat little homage to some of the very first DJs and they rightfully put him up there yeah 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 growing up who was your absolute favorite if you, if you had to narrow it down what was the, the one go to uh, band for you when you were let's say you know, below 16 years old before you were 16 band yeah um, Who did you dig? Like, if you had your druthers back then to listen to? Pre-16 would have been Deep Purple, and then I really started getting into the Rolling Stones more oh, right and appreciated on. more of the songwriting. And and that's a little 
that's that's a reach for you because you were not born in that era. That's a little right before your time, right? Right. We're, right. Roughly, we're roughly the same age. I'm a little older than you, I think. Yeah. But but I think that's because I had to go back and find that music. That wasn't in my really in my face. Right. I think it was hearing the Made in Japan album and hearing that live and thinking, oh my god, this might be you know one of the top. That's two guitars ever, and oh wow, that drummer maybe the bell, oh, the the keyboard. It's I, so the, heavy. Yeah, man. once you realize what it's all about, yeah. Yeah, and Purple was it was it wasn't Blackmore's guitar that was that heavy. I thought it really it was Lord's. Was it who's the yeah John Lord John yeah. Lord's keyboard that Hammond that, organ yeah that Hammond was like that was the weight of that band. To yeah. me, the guitar was great, but it was thin. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was that organ was just like holy shit. Yeah, he's screaming the vocals and yeah, you know, but uh, so but my change, but then but I got to. Like early twenties, and you yeah. discover a band like The Replacements. Oh my god, I love them! Got you know. Then the, 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 you started getting. I got more into the songwriting aspect. It wasn't just the who's playing this great guitar, but oh wow, this song is really funny and deep, and I, I relate to it. And then yeah, you, the, the the Pogues became a big influence. Oh yeah, yeah, I just yeah. love the like. How does he come up with those lyrics? And, and you know, then I, as I became more of a writer, I got more interested in bands that are, have, have the great a little songwriting. more. Th- yeah, a little more thought into the experience yeah, too. Yeah. Um, the punk scene in Pittsburgh, I I I missed it all. Was there a punk scene in Pittsburgh for a period of time? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, you hear about like uh, car sickness and, and uh, the cheats and um. Uh, so I don't know any of those bands. I don't know. If, I like I was too. Old. I, I missed. I wasn't old enough for the electric banana. The I, banana. I missed some of the club scene. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it was already kind of filtering out by the time I was seeing shows. So. I don't know if we had a a, a scene. Yeah, I guess yeah, there yeah. was some some music, but was Nirvana like punk too? Punk version too when that I hit, or, so. or you think it was something different? I, th- I think it was, yeah. I, I can show you a place on Route 79 where I heard Smells Like Teen Spirit for the second time in my car. And I said the second time because the first time I heard it, I was like, What the heck was that? But I can show you where a spot on the highway where the song came on the radio again and I turned it up. And I was like, Oh my god, this may be the greatest thing. And I, that was one of those groundbreaking songs to me. Love Welcome to the Jungle, Guns N' Roses. It was just. Music changed a handful of times when songs like those came out. Good point. And, you know, things Good were never going to be the same. Did you ever ever understand grunge, like in terms of uh, the way it was marketed and, and labeled by record companies? The reason I asked that question is Nirvana isn't like Pearl Jam to me, who isn't like Soundgarden, who isn't like Stone <laughs> Temple Pilots. All four of those acts are uniquely their own, yet the label threw them into Seattle grunge, right? Right, it was it, too convenient. Yeah, we'll, it, we'll do the whole flannel it thing. Was, it's West Coast. Yeah, it was convenient marketing, but yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, rock, I th- I don't know what Nirvana was to me. I don't know a force, but I, don't, I can't, I don't know what they were. But rock, but, you know, STP is more of a pop rock band, I thought, Stone Temple Pilots, but, uh, but Pearl Jam was a rock and roll band, a hard rock band, and Soundgarden was a heavy hard rock band, <laughs> yeah, right? I would agree. I would agree. It had all come before. We had seen this before. It was good good stuff, but it, it wasn't groundbreaking, was it? In the very beginning, even, even though uh, you know the first Pearl Jam album, was it 11 or whatever? Yeah. That, that was a, a hit. Uh, a lot of people kind of looked down their noses on them. If, if you're really into it, it was, you know, if you were a hipster, it took them a while to become... Hip, except why? Like, why was that? I, I I don't know. Was it was it a rivalry thing on Nirvana's? That, that's what you should be liking. I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess but, anything coming out of that north. Was it because MTV was playing the heck out of the Jeremy video? I, you know, I don't, I don't know. They, <laughs> I used the word pop, and they were they had a bit more of a, a popper reputation, and I don't think they had the artistic credibility that the now most of us view them with. But I just found it funny because as a as a rock and roller, wading into that whole thing, you know, a couple of years into it, I'm like, well, wait a second, now you're calling this band Allison Chains. A, that's a gr- yeah, like that's this is like some of the heaviest stuff on the universe right now. Yeah, and that how can that be grunge? That doesn't. I don't know. It was it was it angst. I'll never understand that. So when you when you were writing at that time, reviewing things, did, did it feel like there was a seismic shift in in rock music? That, I mean, did you did you feel it? Did the audiences that you observe in these shows did they was it different? I, I thought it got oversaturated. I, there was a time where, and I, I, I like some songs by Bush, but there was a time they had like five songs in rotation, it seemed, on the radio. And right. I, I remember interviewing one of the clerks at the time, like, why, you know, we can't get a song on 105.9 The X, but they're playing, or, or whatever the the revolution used to be, the, yeah, the alternative yeah, yeah, rock yeah, station yeah, yeah. too, 104. Yeah. So I, I think it, we got too much of it thrown at us, uh, but there were bands uh, like the Screaming Trees I liked, and, and they had they were allowed to have one hit, and then they were kind of pushed aside, and 
So I, I've always wondered, I should go back and discover and look at some of the other bands that are out there. Maybe there, there's some hidden gems there that I, there I could be. appreciate. It, the, the grunge era was just such a strange time. I it mean, was it, a little bit forced on us, I thought. I thought it was too. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was too. And then we came out with post-grunge. and now, what was now that? You got, yeah, well, Nickelback, new, post-grunge. New Metal, remember New Metal? I was right around that <laughs> yeah. time too, like Corn and Limp Bizkit and stuff like that. I yeah, mean, my computer wouldn't let me make that uh, little <laughs> punctuation mark above the U, the, how they did that, but... Yeah, like like Limp Bizkit, Nookie. Uh, oh, yeah, that's like a punchline now, but uh, yeah, yep. it's kind of a catchy song. Oh, uh, no doubt about <laughs> it. I think it'll come back. <clears throat> but I appreciate this. Did you have fun? Oh, yeah, big time, man. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, yeah, this is a, everything great, eh, from the, from the decorations you have here to the, the, the quality you. of the sound and everything. And uh, Thank you. Yeah. yeah, we're trying to do it right, just having fun, man. And it means a lot to me that you came in. It's great that there are people like you that have such a passion for music that you're devoting you know this much time and energy to. Absolutely, them. yeah. I, I just um, I think that the narrative and the story of this town too, like it just it, we, I, I have always since you you came on my radar long before I ever met you, uh, you have the job I probably always wanted as a kid. I wanted to be writing and immersed in music, especially in local music. I mean, it's got to. Did you ever, did you ever pinch yourself? Did you ever like look back and go, like, wow, this is what I do for a living. Yeah, I've been going through some old clips lately because I'm trying to downsize and I'm discovering artists I totally forgot and I'm thinking, oh man, that, that... but I, I don't want to turn into the person like, it was so much better you know, when Red was a nickel and movies were a quarter back in 1999, it was better than, in many ways it was, but uh, you know, I, I'm still passionate about it now. I'm, right. not, I'm not trying to get too lost in nostalgia, but there... I'm, Is there I'm, material there for like a, a book of some kind? Have you ever thought about that? I, I'm kicking myself. I always wanted to write the definitive book on progressive rock and I've interviewed so many of the members of it and I would always ask them a question about it. I should have compiled those into one. I would need. I would need to spend like a couple months in in London, though. And I know you're. You, you have done. You have lived. So uh-huh. I, I think you'd almost have to be over there to, to get the full. I think. You, yeah, I get that. I totally get that. Because to me, it, it wasn't just now. It's starting to get like artistic credibility by like the Rolling Stone magazines, those kind of people. For years, everyone slogged off progressive rock. You know what right. I mean? It, it was right. And, and now people are finally realizing uh, it's genius. It's Solid. gene. That that's yeah. it. It's genius. And when you, you know, it, oh my gosh, it's funny you said that. I was just having this discussion. Like, we took for granted all the things we were hearing and absorbing. But man, as you get older and you reflect on the complexity of some of this stuff, these were musicians. Right. You know, this wasn't th- three guys in their garage. Also musicians. I mean. Yeah, real. I mean, and I'm not saying one's better than the other. You know, the garage band or you know, progressive. What it isn't right or wrong or, or good or bad. It's just different. But this whole genre required a hell of a lot of effort. These folks, like John Petrucci, is is, is you know, whether you like Dream, Dream Theater, Theater or not, it's yeah. just an amazing orchestrative effort. And if you can't appreciate that, then you're really, I mean, how immersed in the in in the idea of music are you really? You know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't. know. It's a weird way of putting it, but um, yeah, dude, I I'd love for you to come back. This is. Anytime. This was time well spent on my behalf, and one of the shows I was really looking forward to, man. I hope I didn't keep you too long. No, no, let's do it once the shows come back. Maybe hopefully late summer, early Love fall. To. Let's kind of Love to. We'll be able to talk about, hey, next Thursday I'm going I to see hope. Rage or something. Or we'll, I hope. We'll keep wearing your mask. Help, yes. help. Let's help this help us get back to music, right? Let's get let's get back to, to live music in Pittsburgh. I thoroughly agree. All right, right on. Thanks, buddy. Keep up the I good appreciate work. it. All right, friends, we are out. Hello, you're listening to the Eric McKenna Project.